That takes us to uh, Matthew 4, 7. <clears throat> and here we have uh, uh, Jesus actually responding to, uh, to the devil. Again, it is written, you shall not test the Lord your God. Um, so that's the end of the second temptation. And I wanted to point out at this point that uh, Jesus, of course, is quoting from Deuteronomy um, that in Matthew and Luke, the difference between, in, in Mark, the temptations are not given. It just says that he was tempted. But in Matthew and Luke, the temptations are grouped in different orders. And I, I believe that uh, on the one hand, the order is really not that important. He just had all these temptations. And were there more than these? I would guess that yes, he did. Um, these are maybe the culminating temptations or the most difficult or something like, or the most typical or, or, or whatever it might be. But if you notice that um, uh, Luther points out that the most difficult of these period is the one on the pinnacle of the temple. That's a temptation of faith. The other two are different. Um, the, the temptation of bread is a temptation that comes um, in, in a sense out of a lack or out of a failure. Um, and uh, the, the other one, the last one, is, a, is another matter as well of who will you, it's a temptation of power um, and, and so forth. But the middle one is the most difficult. If you accept that, then in Matthew, the climax is in the center, which is an Eastern way of thinking. That's the way that the Old Testament, for example, is set up, where the climax of most of the Old Testament books is at the center of the book. Um, whereas a Western thinker, such as Luke the physician, would put the climax where we look for the climax, say in a novel or something, which is toward the end or at the very end. Um, and uh, so Luke has the pinnacle temptation third, whereas Matthew has it second. I don't know if that's significant or not, but we'll just continue with the temptations. But I thought that I would just maybe point that out. So the devil takes him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. What mountain was this? I have no idea. Um, but I am curious, were you ever taught? Or did you, because we have a room here full of basically retired teachers, did any of you ever teach that this was a particular mountain? Or any of you have a suspicion? Anybody know what the highest mountain is in the land of Canaan? It, it has snow year round. And it's Mount Hermon, or Mount Hermon, way, way up north. Um, I don't think necessarily that that was this mountain, um, but that was a mountain. It's a very high mountain. Um, Mount Carmel would certainly be a very high mountain over on the coastline. Mount Carmel is the only interesting uh, coastal point on the entire boring coast of Palestine. Otherwise, it's just sort of a slash. You know, it's a straight line. Um, but other interesting mountains in the area are, for example, the mountain where um, Moses died, Mount Nebo, that's just across the Jordan and in the area of where we are and so forth. Um, Mount Hor 
is not very far away where Aaron died and near where uh, Miriam died. Um, so you have some those mountains. It doesn't really matter, does it? A very high mountain is a very high mountain. And the devil, uh, disguised in whatever way he was disguised, shows Jesus this scene of all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, however you want to take that. Uh, the devil, of course, is capable of false miracles. We covered this yesterday in catechism class, in the, which none of you were at, I noticed. Um, but uh, 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 we were... We were going through the, the, the doctrine of the end times. And our, our catechism workbook just has one or two pages on this. And it covers um, the, the few things the Bible does teach and then many things that other denominations teach that are incorrect. And I have a different thought about that with our confirmation age students. So I spent almost no time on the incorrect things. And I spent more time on the things that we know of, and I gave them the passage. We read the passages. And then I just included a list at the end of the things that they might come across that are incorrect. But I found that the more time you spend on a false doctrine, the more people remember it and think that it, maybe it's right. So that's, that's, especially with young children, that's a dangerous thing or, or confirmation age students. So I would rather teach what the truth is than focus on the false doctrines. That's just my, my, my take on teaching them. But one thing we know about the devil and his uh, servant, the Antichrist, is that scripture tells us that they, will be, they are capable of performing false miracles. So this would be an example of one of those. So all the kingdoms of the world, is this of all time or of that time? Anybody have an opinion? I think it's more likely that it's of that time than of all time, you know. So here's Rome, here's Greece, here's Persia, um, here's Idumea, here are the, 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 the Egyptians and the Cushites and so forth. And also mentioned in scripture are the Chinese. So the land of Sin, here, here's their kingdom and so forth. Alexander the Great had made it to India, you know, and, and, and so forth. And all of these places and their various kingdoms, all the little petty kingdoms in Greece and uh, Turkey and so forth. Um, so the devil showed him all of these things. And then he said, I will give you all of these things if you will bow down and worship me. Is this a, maybe a tough temptation on our Savior? Yeah, I get the impression too. Like, what are you talking about? Um, the... Uh, the, the idea of, of, uh, of telling the, the, the creator of the universe, you know, I'll give you these marbles if you come and play with me is just, just ridiculous. So, but Jesus answers him for our sake. Um, part of, of, of the temptation is not only to show us that Jesus avoided these temptations, but how he avoided these temptations. What was his response to the devil? Jesus never resorts to reason or even to sarcasm, which maybe my sinful nature falls to too quickly. But um, where does Jesus reach? The word. Just I'll answer you with the word of God. And so Jesus said to him, go away, Satan, or get behind me, Satan, um, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. That's Deuteronomy 6. 
So come in. Come in. We have a, a chair here or a chair there, and maybe someone would even offer you a chair. Is there no one in the back by Diane? Diane, who rarely bites. What? Nothing. But Jesus, Jesus immediately goes back into Deuteronomy. How many of us would handily have passages from Deuteronomy to fire back at the devil? And Jesus does. Um, and yet, uh, uh, Deuteronomy, a wonderful text of scripture. What, can anybody give me a, 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 the outline or the summary of Deuteronomy in a sentence? What is Deuteronomy? What, what about the law? Yeah, it's well, Deuteronomy is a summary of the law given 40 years later after Mount Sinai. So that the Deutero in Deuteronomy is second. So it's the second giving of the law. This is Moses on the mountain where he was going to die, giving the law again to the next generation. That's what Deuteronomy. So a Deuteronomy is a summary, not everything is there that's in Exodus, Leviticus and portions of Numbers but it's consolidated. There are some things in Deuteronomy that aren't in other places and many things that are in other places that aren't in Deuteronomy, but Deuteronomy is a good summary of the law. The Ten Commandments are in Deuteronomy again. Otherwise, they're only in, in Exodus. Miriam. Um, it's not quite with this, but if I don't ask it, I'll Go ahead, Miriam. You mean uh, chapter and verse and passage? Mark 6. Mm -hmm. Yes. The children at St. Paul's Elementary School learned that. Um, we teach less of it with our public school kids. Um, our public school kids that we have for a little less time, um, not that much less, but a little less, but we only get them for catechism um, by and large. And so I want them to know the doctrines. And the, the, we've, I've spoken with our Wednesday school teachers because we have some of those kids for a couple years before confirmation, but they're there to learn really Sunday school stories. And so the idea of when do we teach them, you know, a, 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 a whole list of passages is a little bit trickier. And in the last 20 years, uh, uh, teaching young people, I've seen a decline in, in memorization. I, that, that's, that's a kind way of putting it. Um, uh, they, the kids are able to learn the catechism still. I don't have a problem with the kids learning the catechism. When they freeze up in their examination, I allow them to say it in their own words if they need to. And usually when I say that, they will fall back to Luther because they would rather scramble and find Luther's what does this mean than try to put it in their own words. Um, uh, but when their examination happens, which by the way is in three weeks, that's when examination is this year. It's holy, it's the week, no, it's, it's the week after Easter, I'm sorry. So it's four weeks. Um, but we examine privately 
in this room mostly. And uh, it's one-on-one with pastor and student and the student's family. 20 minutes per kid or 25 minutes. And, uh, but, um, and typically mom or grandma is the one who chooses which commandment. Because I'll say pick a number between 1 and 10. And then that's the commandment I give the kid. You know. In all of my years, I've, this is my 22nd year doing confirmation or 21st, I've never had a mom choose nine. It's the only one. Mom has never chosen nine. Oh, sure. Sure. They usually don't know what they're picking. When I say pick a number, they don't know I'm going to pick a commandment off of that. Um, but probably four, five, and six are the most common, and being in the number of the middle of the number line, I suppose that makes sense. But nine has never shown up yet in all my years here. Not that I need it to. I won't be sad if it doesn't, you know, but that's okay. All right. Sure. Did I answer your question? Okay. Then the devil left him, and just then... Angels came and served him. So Jesus is served by angels. Mark's gospel is the only one that tells us that something else was out there along with him besides the devil. Anybody happen to know what that is? It's in the first chapter of Mark. There were wild animals. So something out there in the wilderness was, that was dangerous was out there as well. But then Jesus had these 40 days where he is uh, fasting. And we talked about that. It didn't necessarily mean fasting from water, but fasting from food. At the end of the 40 days, he was hungry. Um, And he was in in a region, probably, where there was maybe some, at least some water available, and maybe a little shade, depending on where you stood. Um, But Jeshimon is a terrible tumble of bare rock. But there would have been things like, you know, scorpions and venomous snakes and other little critters around. Um, So the devil left him and uh, waited for an opportune moment to come back and angels served him. What did the angels serve Jesus? Or how did they serve him? That's Luther's opinion. That it's time to eat. The temptation is over. The fasting is over. Time to eat, and they maybe they, they, they could have brought him bread the way that, for example, the ravens brought Elijah bread in the wilderness um, when he was out there alone. Um, then the question is that, in the way that I would put it, is did Jesus need more spiritual um, help or more physical help? And I'm not sure he needed more spiritual help at this moment, but. Uh, I don't know. In the, in the nighttime, he would have needed a warm blank blanket. Probably not in the daytime, though, um, being where he was. But yes, Nioko. I just have a comment. He must have been very difficult for Jesus to be a Tima where if he really wants, he could make a bread, he could come up with clean water, and he could come up with blanket. But sure. The, the, the setting aside of his divine power, which is one definition of his state of humiliation, is, is Jesus doing it, 
doing, using, using his powers as God less and less fully as his ministry goes on, um, but doing it for our sake. That's right. Um, I also want us to notice that each time Jesus answers with scripture, the three passages Jesus quotes from are all from Deuteronomy chapters 6 or 8. The three passages. I think two are from 6 and one is from 8. And I have a, I don't know that this is valuable or not, but I decided to, to, to try this out. So during the 40 days... If Jesus had been contemplating on a couple chapters of scripture up to this point, um, it does happen that on the 40th day, he'd be about in Deuteronomy 5, 6, 7, and 8. Um, I don't know if that's exactly what he was doing. This, this ju just suggests, and there's two reasons for, for, for bringing this up. Um, If, if, if I take it this way, and I'm not sure that you need to necessarily, that on the 40th day he's in these, he happens to be in, the, be in these verses, and, as, and, and using his divine nature, he would know the, the text. Um, and as he's pondering it, um, then one thing that we can take from this is that my, my, my daily, I'll call it my morning meditation on the word of God, is often applicable and useful all day that day. That God protects me and, and, and uh, allows his word to work in me. So, and, and how often have I not found it true that a psalm I've read or the gospel lesson that I've read or something else that I've read in scripture serves me later on in the day after I've studied it in the morning. It just comes up later, partly because it's in my mind and my mature Christian mind is able to apply scripture in more than one way. And, uh, and, it, and, and it can be useful and applicable later on. Um, now that's if we take this to be in, in this sense. Is it also likely that Jesus simply uses the ideal proof passages that answer these particular temptations, which is maybe what part of what Marian was getting at with do we require children to memorize verses and chapter and verse today so that they will have this treasure of proof passages to use at, at different times in life. And uh, I think it's more likely that Jesus simply uses the ideal passage than what I have on the screen here, but I wanted to try it out. And so, and you know, because of a glitch this morning, we almost lost this chart forever. So this is what I was having trouble with this morning. and I don't know. So Then we have this question, and I don't want this to cause anyone to run from the room screaming or anything like that, but there is the question, and you have notes on this in your handout, and last week I remembered a handout that I forgot this week. So if you got it last week, you got it. If you didn't, then you didn't, I, I guess I'll say, but... It's, um, I might possibly be able to make extras, but the question is, could Jesus have sinned? And there are essentially six truths to remember as we explore this question. The most important is this one, or one of the more, more important ones is this one, that 
First of all, Christ is fully human. Now, from, from that perspective, and we're going to go back and forth on this answer, aren't we? But beginning with he's fully human, could he therefore have fallen into temptation? Well, certainly Adam did, right? And they had much in common. Um, the temptations were real. They were not fake or sham or something along those lines. They're actual temptations. Number three, it's the, these are bulleted in the, on the second page of your handout. Number three, his humanity was like that of fallen man in this sense. He could be hungry. This is part of setting his powers as God aside. He could become thirsty. He could become tired. He did suffer and so forth. So in, in his humanity, um, he is subject to these things. On the other side of things, Jesus is true God. And now there is, a, there, there is going to be growing in, our, in, 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 in a mind, is there a paradox here? But there, I assure you that there isn't. Um, but one thing we must remember is that while Jesus is truly God, um, his humanity is also completely and entirely there at the same time. When Jesus was incarnate in the womb of the Virgin Mary, he has the nature of both true God and true man. And that nature was born, and that dual nature, if you will, um, being both fully God and fully human at the same time, is what Christ is in the temptation on the cross, in the resurrection, and today in his ascended self, and will continue to be in heaven. That's what we will see, is Jesus fully God and fully human at the same time. He remains this, so he, he took it in himself. And many of the oldest heresies in the Christian church faltered on this point, who is Christ? Is he part God and part human? Did part of him leave him in the crucifixion? Did part of him get set aside in the resurrection, for example, and so forth? Right. So he knew that that was possible. Well, the, the original question was, is it possible? The devil thought it was. But he, it wasn't because he was God. Well, let's, let's get through the other two points. And don't get ahead of the class. Or I will send you outside again. So. <laughs> That's right. So Jesus is holy. And he is immutable. Um, that's a carefully chosen doctrinal word, I'll just say. But it means unchangeable. I, the Lord your God, do not change. That's the, one of the proof passages for the, immu the immutability of God. This is not immutable in the sense of a trombone mute or something like that. 
Do you all know what a trombone mute is? A trombone mute? All the grown-ups in Charlie Brown are based on the use of a trombone mute, right? Okay, yeah. I'm sorry I brought it up. It has nothing to do with any of our subject here. I should not have even mentioned it. I apologize. But I do want to say one more thing about that. And that is the trombone mute used in Charlie Brown is a bell mute, not a straight mute. So it's, it's, it's like taking your hat off and putting it in front of the trombone rather than sticking it inside. That's a straight mute. The, 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 the grown-ups in Charlie Brown are a, are a bell mute. That's how you get the wah, 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 wah. It wouldn't be possible with a straight mute. Are we done here? Okay. I, I'm, I'm very sorry. I, what's done is done. Let's just move on. So God as God cannot be tempted, James 1.13. Christ is God. Christ could not have been tempted. That's... That's, that's where we land here. But then we have this question. Is there a paradox? Well, Christ's human nature never existed as a separate person, but from the very beginning constitutes one person with the Son of God. From the conception, here we have God and man. This is Christ already there. So the, the, the man, Jesus, never existed apart from God the Son of God. Is that clear? Okay. okay. For Jesus to sin would have meant either that God sinned or the personal union, that is the two natures of Christ, was broken in some way. And the Christology that we are taught in the Bible, that is the, 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 the complete doctrine of Christ, allows for neither of those possibilities. Um, it is not possible that God could sin or that the union of God and man in the Son of God, in Jesus Christ, could be broken. Neither are possible. That gives us the assurance that God's promise of our salvation was never in doubt. And that's why I even brought it up. Um, was because there are those who get to the story of the temptation and as, even, even though they know the story of the temptation... They, I mean, they know the ending of the story of the temptation. There, there, there's a certain kind of a personality that can watch a movie 20 times and never know what the ending is going to be because they think maybe it'll change. You know, how many times can you, you know, it, the, the movie is going to end the way that it ends. The, the account in scripture is going to end the way that it ends. And asking what if is not going to change the fact of what was. Um... And, uh, and then I, I'm just, I'm just going to leave this up for a second, but the, for the fuller summary of this, um, the article that I, some of you got last week um, is from Wisconsin Lutheran Quarterly back in 2005. It's volume 102, um, number two, which comes out in the spring, and it was pages 128 to 131. The quarterly is available unless you get it at your home. Um, not even all pastors get it. They, you have to sign up for it and pay for it. But um, it's available at, the, at our various college and seminary libraries. Pastor Ailhoffen has it. I have it. Okay.
You've been listening to Invisible Church, the Bible study podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church, New Wall, Minnesota.